Hello, good morning. Uh, if we have not yet met, uh, I am Danny. I'm the swine flu guy. Uh, I oversee the, the college ministry here and also the worship ministry. So if you are particularly a new student, uh, college or university student in Boston, uh, maybe you're not new to Boston, you've been in school for a few years, but you're new to Cornerstone, and yet have not yet met anybody or been connected to our ministry, um, please come and say hi to me uh, later after service. I'd love to connect you with um, our group. Maybe you have a campus that's represented here so that you can uh, find a small group to meet with midweekly or just attending our college and university events. Uh, so please come and say hi to me. If you are not a college student and you're a little bit older, you can come and say hi to me too, because... While we oversee particular ministries, it's not like there's these strict boundaries and you can't talk to all of us on staff. So uh, welcome. It's really good to be here this Sunday morning. Uh, I'd love to uh, go along with what our sister Donna said and just actually open us in time of prayer. And not as a means of you just always pray at church between things, but um, to settle ourselves before the Lord and to ask for His Holy Spirit to guide us in this time. So uh, let's just be still for a moment and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We're so grateful that we have the Holy Scriptures in our lives, in our hands, on our phones, on our computers, in multiple translations, in many languages, just so accessible to us. We see it as the greatest gift of love that you've given us so that we can know you. And I ask that, I know that there's there's variance in this room Um, as individuals and even within ourselves in certain seasons of how much we long for it. Sometimes we're we're hungry and we want it badly and more of it and we pour over it and sometimes we just want it to, we don't even think about it, it just collects dust. But our prayer today and even for this moment is for every one of us regardless of where we're at in that journey that at least for now in this service as we're worshiping you together as a church, that each and every one of us would long for it. I pray that as I talk, that people here would get sick of what I have to say and just wait for me to read the passage. And for us to just long for how we can live our lives according to it, because it is in that way we truly believe we will experience the greatest joy. So we lay down all of our agendas Um, We lay down all of our wants before you, and we ask you to replace it with what you want for us. We pray that you'd be glorified and worshipped and adored through it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, those of you who know me and some of you do not, uh, one of my favorite places in the whole wide world is Costco. My wife and I particularly bought our current home because it is near one. We have membership, have membership for many years, and I think I probably average going there at least once a week. Um, and so I was there, this was about two weeks ago, and I was done. I was shopping, I get to my car, open the trunk, and I'm loading things. And there's a lady next to me in her car also loading things into her trunk. And so if you can imagine, it's me in my car, it's this lady in her car, and there's another car here, but the owner is not there. And we're loading, and I notice that she finishes up a little bit before me, and so she slams her trunk hands on the cart, and she looks both directions. And I'm thinking she's looking for, like, the cart return thingy. But she looks at me, and then she looks at the car next to her, pushes the cart over, gets into her car, and just drives away. 
So he just blocks the guy. He just could not care less. Um, and I don't know. I kind of sat there, and I, was, and I kind of wanted to stay and see what the owner of the car would come back and do. But I ended up just going home. And I was thinking about it. And not that it was that big of a deal. She didn't, like, key the car or anything. But it was just really, like, unpleasant. Like, how laziness can affect other people. And how she just really could care. She just couldn't care, like, at all. That how her actions would affect other people. Just zero on the considerateness level. Is considerateness a word? I don't know. Uh, but what I want to do this morning as a start off is to actually have an internal considerateness test with all of you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or stand up because we're not about calling each other out. But you just answer yes or no inside of your heart, okay? So if you're shopping... And you don't have an item, it could be clothes, it could be bread or a grocery store or mall, and you don't want it anymore, do you just put it back wherever you want? Or do you walk back to where you found it in the bread aisle and put it back there? Don't answer. I know I just triggered a bunch of retail people who absolutely hate you right now. Or let's talk, use the car example. You're parking, you, you unload your groceries or your shopping. Do you leave your cart there, like in between the parking spots, block other people, or do you bring it back to the thingy? <laughs> what was that called? When you get onto the train or the bus, for those of you who take the MBTA, do you wait for everybody to get off, or do you quickly barge in and just sit down in the best seat? Do you, when you get in, do you move all the way into the center like you're supposed to, even though that might be more inconvenient for you? If you have a mountain of trash in your house with your roommates or your dorm or maybe in a public place, do you just add to Mountain Peak? Or do you tie a new bag, take it out, and put a new one there? And lastly, this is my only serious one. Those are funny. This one's really serious because it says ruined families. When you drink out of the Brita, do you refill it, or do you just walk away? It's very serious. So I'm beginning this, uh, this morning's message with these silly examples to make a point that in our human experience, we're not in a bubble. We're not in a vacuum. You're not on an island. Uh, your actions, they matter to other people, whether you want them to or not. They matter to the people that you know, your friends and your family, your roommates, co-workers. They matter to people you don't know. Strangers that you'll never learn their name and you'll never meet them. But our actions matter. This is the way that just humanity exists. So if you just use a simple shopping cart example, this lady will never meet the person whose car that she blocked in, but her just decision to not be considerate to move the cart affected another person. It also affected the employee who has a very physically demanding job, rounding up all the carts and pushing those huge ones back into the store and doing that over and over again. Our actions, big or small, they matter to people around you. So for today's message uh, on this theme of worship that we've been going through for this entire fall, and we have one more week next week before we change our sermon series, the first few weeks and a lot of the messages in the series have been debunking misunderstandings about worship, particularly that worship, this narrow definition of it, that worship is not just singing. Worship is not just Sundays. Worship is not just doing your devotionals and reading a guide or reading the Bible or praying, these traditional things. Worship is not just when you're with other people. We've just wanted to stretch our understanding that it's at work. It's at sleep even, at rest, at fun, at play. Yes, in church services. But worship is a big, big thing. 
But to, and for today's message, I want to kind of point out maybe even a more common misunderstanding, possibly, maybe, maybe not. The misunderstanding being that worship is just between you and God. It's me and him, me and the big guy. doesn't matter to anybody else. But actually, that's untrue. It significantly matters to other people. Your relationship with God and whether or not you are worshiping, your, the health of your relationship with God and the, the nature of your worship, it's not private, it's not exclusive, it's not internal. It matters to people around you. It matters in big ways to people around you, even the ones that you do not know. Your presence here in our service matters to the people around you, even if you're sitting next to strangers right now. So this topic that we'll explore today in this message is reminding us that our worship matters to God, of course, it's about Him, but because of who He is, because of the way He's created this world and our life and our discipleship, it matters to other people. The foundation of our worship is certainly this vertical relationship, but the fruit of it is horizontal. It matters to the community around you. So, it's to that end that we're going to open up our Bibles and read 1 Peter chapter 4 and just a few verses in it. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open that up to 1 Peter, which is in the way back end of the Bible to chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 7 through 11, or you can read with me uh, on the screen behind me. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Peter starts this portion of his letter in a very interesting way. If you look, whoop, where are we at? If you look uh, right here. So in verse 7, the end of all things is near. So what he's not doing is trying to be the kooky guy on the side corner, like the end is nigh, like repent or you're going to go to hell. He's not trying to scare anybody. This isn't mind calendar stuff. Uh, he's just teaching just straight up theology. What he's referring to is God's plan for redemptive history. So at this point in Peter's life, Jesus has already come, he's ministered, he's died, he's resurrected, and then he's ascended into heaven, he's left his Holy Spirit, and the church has begun. And so now at this point in redemptive history, there's only one thing left, and that's for Jesus to come again. So currently, in in, in Peter's time, as well as today, we are living in the end times, and therefore he says the end is near. We do not know when Jesus will come back. These are our last days. So, he gives us this command to to know. The end of times is near. He says, be sharp, keep a clear, sober mind, and pray. And then he gives commands in light of that. In the light of the fact that you do not know when your life is going to be over. And then he continues on this passage. But I want to call time out and just stop right here. If I were to tell you, hey, you have one week left to live. You have one month, one year, one day. What would you do? If somebody told me that, you have one week left to live. I'd immediately be like, okay, go straight to the bank, like, depo- or withdraw everything from it, go to every restaurant that I haven't tried yet, travel, which country am I going to go to? I'm definitely going to sit first class. I'm going to max out every single credit card, uh, go visit all my friends that I haven't seen, and just live it up. And you think about it, and I think maybe a lot of us are in the same boat. 
It's actually extremely selfish, right? If you had one month left to live, one year left to live, one day left to live, most of us are thinking, and I'm including myself in this boat, oh my gosh, I am going to enjoy it to the full. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to lavish and spoil myself. And then I think about it, I'm like, man, I want to go out of this world just being selfish. And so, we look back into this passage, and Peter says, the end is near. And this makes me love, love, love this passage. It made me, as I was studying uh, this in preparing for the message this week in my office, I was so grateful for this passage, and so grateful for who God is. Because he doesn't say, go all out on yourself. He says, the end times are near, you don't know when you're going to die, so therefore, love each other deeply. Doesn't that make you love God? The way that this command to his disciples, if this is the most important thing for you to do, that if you are running out of time, the, the clock is ticking. It's love each other deeply, above all, love each other. So this is our command from God's word. This is our worship in obedience to God's word to love each other deeply. And we see right here that yes, our worship is foundational or it's founded upon this vertical relationship. But the fruit of it, he commands us, is horizontal. Your worship is not in a bubble or in a vacuum. It matters to people around you. And so this is where my points are going to be uh, uh, founded in for this morning. So firstly, loving each other deeply. How do we do that? We love each other deeply by showing hospitality. And in verse 9, uh, Peter writes this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So when Peter was writing this letter to the church, hospitality was very different than what it looks like today. It was much, much higher stakes. Hospitality is defined love of strangers, and it was something that was so radically done by Christians that it distinguished them in their communities. By seeing someone being hospitable in this version of it, people would be able to recognize, oh, that's a Christian. They're, they're one of those like, converts, those Jews who became Jesus followers, or those Gentiles who, who converted into that faith. So this was a time where safety and travel concerns was a big, big deal. You'd be moving with your families and your, your, the generations of family and with your, all of your possessions and your animals and flocks and all that stuff. And, and whether from the elements or from other people, you were always at risk. So people would have to stop by strangers' homes, knock on the door, and say, hey, we're traveling from A to B, will you let us in? And the hospitable thing to do would be to invite them in, to feed them, shelter them, take care of their animals, etc. Their lives, in a lot of cases, depended on it. So we're talking here, when, when Peter says be hospitable, he's not talking about host wine and cheese night and make sure you play code names. These people's lives actually def- depended on it. It was serious. You have strangers in your home. And so it was hard. Can you imagine having a complete stranger walk into your home and just be like, okay, like take all my stuff? That's why he says do it without grumbling, because it actually got really difficult for them. And so we live in a different culture and a different generation. Sojourners, well, I was going to say sojourners aren't walking around. Sojourners aren't really a thing anymore. And there certainly aren't sojourners coming to your, your college dorm and going up Stuvie and being like, hey, can you feed my donkeys? Like, that's not a thing anymore. And so there's a lot of differences in what biblical hospitality looks like today. But there, here's one, something that's not different. is that strangers still have very serious needs. Their needs might not be, I need you to, to house me on my journey across the Mediterranean. That's not the same. 
But strangers still have very, very serious needs. And what if Christians and the church renewed this idea of hospitality so much so that people would recognize that you're a Jesus follower because of how hospitable you are? What if we treated people's or strangers in a way as if their lives depended on it? We're not walking around with flocks and our families anymore. But some people's lives, and their, at least their spiritual lives, do depend on your actions. What if we saw hospitality, the love of a stranger, as a necessity? See, this hospitality was the distinguishing mark of the Christians. And I think for today, just as Peter's, Peter wrote this many years ago, but it matters to us today. And so this is the call for us, to, for us today and now to revive this distinguishing mark as followers of Jesus. Secondly, we love each other deeply. Firstly, by showing hospitality. Secondly, by encouraging one another with the word of God. This is how we love each other deeply, by encouraging another with God's word. In verse 11, Peter writes this, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. So what he's talking about here in the Greek word that he used for speak is not preaching or teaching. It is literally speaking. Like the verb is to speak, to talk. And so it's very broad and general, all-encompassing. This could certainly involve teaching and preaching. You might not do it professionally, but to have actual God's word and to tell somebody it. But it also includes what one commentator says, singing, evangelism, sharing words of encouragement or praise or affirmation, testimony sharing. It's whatever form it needs to take. It can directly be a copy-paste text of God's word from the Bible, or it can be your encouragement to them based upon the Bible. Sharing things about how valuable somebody are, is, how loved they are, how perfectly made they are. Love each other deeply with your words. And our words of encouragement cannot be underestimated because they really have the power to change somebody's life. So if you imagine me this week in my office, I get to this point. And, and I'll, I'll go backwards. So, I, you know, this is just like a linear thing, Right? I'm like, okay. So Peter, he he says, like, the end of times is near, and I love this. He says, if you're going to die tomorrow, you should go and love people. And then he he, he shows it to us. Do it by being hospitable. Invite the stranger, take care of them. Then encourage each other with our words, with our mouths and our tongues. And I kept getting onto this topic that hit me over and over. And usually in my sermon preparation, some of you have asked me how I do it. When I get something, I just put it down and I run with it. But this one, for some reason, I wrestled with it. And I started to get a little afraid, and then I started to get a little insecure, but I felt so strongly moved by the Holy Spirit that I, I put it down. And so there's a, something that I want to address, a, a darkness, I guess I can call it, that many of us in this room wrestle with. I'm not talking about substance abuse or alcohol or addiction to our phones or maybe like purity and what we watch on TV or on the internet. This darkness that I'm talking about is something that I feel like in conversation comes up nonstop for me uh, in talking to many of you. And it's loneliness. What I'm talking about is loneliness. And so I got to this, being hospitable, being encouraging, and I kept feeling the Holy Spirit like, you need to talk about loneliness. And it makes sense, of course. See, loneliness is a snare that is crippling a lot of us today. I've had many conversations you, uh, with you about this, and I understand it's really hard to share. It's really uncomfortable. Um, 
it puts you in a really vulnerable position. It potentially makes, you don't want people to pity you. And then there's another fear that if you share about it, you leave yourself out there and then somebody still might not do anything about it, which is probably worst case scenario. And I get it. I feel exactly where you're at. And so in hopes that we can actually create more of a safe and open space to be vulnerable with each other in this topic, this is why I was hesitant. I'm going to talk about mine. So I would like to share about my loneliness with all of you in hopes that this can maybe change things for some of you. Because it's been a number of years for me now where I've been wrestling with pretty serious bouts of it. So when I received my call into ministry, I was actually in high school my junior year. And from junior year all throughout senior year of college when I started applying to seminary schools, I got a lot of good advice and, and you know, do this and be careful of this from a lot of my older brothers and sisters who are either in seminary or beyond and in ministry. And, you know, you hear a lot of the same kind of, like, warnings and, and the things to keep up with, like, be careful, seminary is really academically rigorous, so make sure you're studying hard, you're in the study mindset. Uh, be careful because, you know, you're going to need to be willing to, to be poor and to, to struggle financially if you go into seminary. And then, then the other really popular one is that, like, you need to be careful. And this is the one that came a lot from my family. Um, be careful because you're always going to be carrying people's burdens. And pastors are always heavy laden because you're always hearing the difficult things in people's lives. And, and this mixture of this kind of stuff happens to all pastors. And it's true to a certain extent for all pastors. But actually, well, those three things didn't really and don't really affect me that much today. Uh, thankfully, I, I think by God's grace. I loved the rigorous study at Gordon-Conwell. And I did well in school because I, I loved it. It was hard. It kicked my butt. But I, I liked it. Financially, Cornerstone has, has the leadership team. Like You guys don't see their meetings, uh, but they are very committed and concerned to taking care of the pastors. And, and Unji has a job, and, and we get by. We have a home and, and cars. We're fine. And then with the, with the burden carrying, like people are always worried, oh, like you're going to have to carry all the I want to do that. So for those of you who are afraid that you're going to burden me because by sharing your problems, I want to do that for you. There was one person, though, the person who knew me best in my life, who, who, who just knew me inside and out, who cared for me the most, who was in ministry at the time. He was the only person who said this one other warning. He said, Danny, you're going to have to be aware that being a pastor is extremely lonely. And that one did come true. And so there are a lot of layers to it. And, and this isn't my time to share in one-hour testimony. But... In a nutshell, the major reason is this, and this happens to most people in ministry. Most of our time, our energy, our effort, our thoughts, both on the clock and off the clock, are dedicated to a particular community. For me, it's you all. So most of my time and all of this energy is poured out, very little, literal time and like mental time, all that energy, it's all into this. And for good reasons, but there are very healthy boundaries so pastors and ministers and, and preachers are, are of a community, but they are not fully in it. We have a different role. We wear a different hat. We have different name tags. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a boundary created to protect the role and the nature of each relationship, which are good. They're not bad things. But the tricky part for us is that all of our time is dem- demanded into a place where we don't get the same relationship that happens in friendship. And then... What you're told, well, you need to find that outside of your ministry context, but we have nothing left over for that time. 
So everything is going into cornerstone, 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 cornerstone. Hey, are you keeping up with your seminary friends and your college friends and your high school friends? Well, they're all around the country. And yeah, I can definitely get stuff out of Cornerstone, but your real, real depth of friendships, it's inappropriate to be there. And so what do I do about that? I guess create better boundaries. I guess I have to spend more money to travel, to visit my friends in Texas, California, Chicago. And so it's hard. You become isolated. And to be extra vulnerable with you, and, I, and I'll stop here, but for those of you who are really wrestling with, it, like, with this right now, you can come and talk to me about it, and I'll share more. You can even talk to my wife about it, because there have been moments where Inji and I are laying before bed, and some of you feel this, and the only reason why I'm sharing with you, even though this is very uncomfortable for me right now, is so that you know that I understand. We'll lay down in bed, and I'll tell her, I'm just so lonely. And sometimes I get afraid for our dog, Bella, to die, because she's my most consistent companion other than my wife. It's hard. It's difficult. I know exactly how you feel. The nature of our feelings are different and our situations are different, but we have, we're kinsmen in this sense. So take a turn off of this depressing and sappy road. Here's what keeps me going. So some of you are freaking out right now and you're all going to text me, oh my God, we love you, but don't worry, I'm Okay. <laughs> And that was part of the reason why I didn't want to share because people are going to throw the alarm. Pastor Bill, did you know this? Whenever your associate is so unhealthy. I'm good. Let me tell you why. Every year, what sustains me and keeps me going and makes me say I had the best job in the world and I would never give it up. Some of you ask me, hey, where do you see in five years? Right here. You, know why? you want to know why? Because of your words. Every single year, at some predictable and some random moments, I'll receive a text from somebody who's seated in this room right now, who will just, it'll be a long one, where I have to, you know, like scroll, and being so kind. You know who you are. Some of you have sent me cards, or even made cards, and then written notes in them. This past July, my birthday, I got so many texts from people, I'm like, how do you even know it's my birthday, saying such kind words? I will never forget some moments that I got from people's mouths. This past May, I'm never going to forget this. Uh, I was standing on the stairs over there walking out, and one of our senior, uh, one of the senior sisters from, from BU who was graduating, uh, she, she pulled me aside. I was like, oh my gosh, like, Pastor Dean, this is my last Sunday. And, and we have had a very pleasant relationship, but we didn't spend that much time together, frankly, so I didn't think that she would even want to say bye to me or care. You know, like people just come in and out. And she pulls me aside and she says, you have been the most influential person in my faith life. We didn't spend that much time together. I would have never thought that. I would have never thought that. And she didn't have to tell me. She could have just left. That was her last Sunday. She was on the stairs going and going to, I don't know when we're ever going to see each other. I would have never known that. But she took the time to pull me aside and to say it. And now, like, if, if, you, if my tank was empty, it's like, like, filled up, like, from one person taking five seconds to say something. I think what all of us need to understand is how significant our invitation, our encouragement, and our speaking the word of God has to change people's lives. And here's the thing that I do not want you to gloss over. This is not being nice to each other that the world loves to talk about. 
Peter is not saying, hey, you know, be friendly. Put the cart back into the section so that the guy has a little bit of a nicer day at work. He's saying, love each other deeply. This is depth of love. So let us not gloss over this and say, hey, let's be nice to each other once in a while by inviting somebody over for coffee or to your home or by being kind with our words. This can change people's lives. Many of your testimonies here, you came to faith because somebody invited you here. Your life changed forever. So for those of you who who have, all of us, we have this calling to use our words of invitation and of encouragement And this is loving each other deeply. In what you say, in what you write, in the text or email that you send, it has the power to completely shift someone's life and the state of their hearts that day. And let me tell you this. If you ever think that worship is just singing songs, is not God's children loving each other in this way so worshipful? Does that not delight God's heart so incredibly? Is that not something that is clearly a mark of the disciples of Jesus and who are literally praising him at that moment in the way that we care for each other? This is worship. And it matters horizontally. Lastly, number three. We love each other deeply by serving others. Verse 10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. And then we skip a little bit. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So Peter recognizes that in God's grace, he has gifted us with spiritual gifts and abilities that are meant to be used in service towards others. Notice how they're all that way. Sometimes we hear about Pastor Bill's gifts and calling class, and you're like, ooh, like, what am I going to get from me? Nothing. You're going to get knowledge for you, but it's so that you can use it. Spiritual gifts are not for us to exercise for ourselves. So if anybody is wielding a spiritual gift like, oh, I have this one, you know, like, like that's crap right there. That's garbage. Spiritual gifts, that's a test. People are like, oh, what do we do with the charismatic church? If spiritual gifts are not edifying the body, then they are just false. That's how you can test it. Spiritual gifts are given for us to be a blessing to other people. They're not for our self-advancement. They're not for our benefit. They're the benefit of the bride of Christ. So we're called to serve others by loving. And we love others deeply by serving. So just a quick question for everybody to ponder. If you left Cornerstone, would anybody notice? Think about that for a second. If you left Cornerstone, would people know? There's two ways of thinking about this question. There's lane A and there's lane B. I'm going to guess most of us are on lane A. And what we're thinking, and this is me too, like, who cares about me enough here? We can start going down that rabbit hole and say, like, oh, like, they say they're my friend, but are they really? Would this church even care about how I'm doing if I disappeared? They probably wouldn't even notice. That's lane A. There's actually a lane B. And lane B is something that sometimes doesn't come that naturally to us, but there is a very legitimate other way. And the other way to think about this is kind of the opposite. Is it the lane B is it's it's am I loving people enough? 
Am I investing in others enough? Am I serving others so much that if I left, people would notice because there's a void? That's the other way. Lane A is just being really internal and concerned that people are not doing their job taking care of me. And if I left, no one would care. Look at that community. Lane B is being internal, but in a different way of, am I loving and serving the people around me enough that God calls me to love deeply, so much so that if you remove me, there will be a void in these people's lives of how greatly they're being loved by the church. Are you worshiping God in a way that the fruit of it blesses people around you enough that people would definitely notice if you were to leave? See, where in Peter's letters or anywhere in the Bible, does the gospel writers or the Old Testament prophets, is anybody like, thou shalt receive greatly and be really good at being taken care of? The Bible is covered from Genesis to Revelation about how we are to serve and to give, to pour out, to humbly, to humble ourselves, to lower ourselves so that others could be blessed and benefited. It's about going and for us to, put, to, to hold the mirror to ourselves and to be the ones to go and love deeply. So here's the call for us to respond to today, church. And just three words that come directly out of our main points. It's just invite, encourage, serve as our application. Invite. This comes from the hospitality. Invite people to your home, to your dorm. Invite people to have a meal or coffee with you. Invite newcomers to an activity. Many of you have a friend group that is really tight. You, you're the type that other people are jealous of, frankly, because you're always hitting each other up and you're always doing things together. Invite people to that who you know don't have that. If you have plans with a group of friends, think about who may not. Invite them. If you are on campus, invite a friend who may not have experienced community in this nature before. Today's version of biblical hospitality has to involve invitation. We're not living in the same time as Peter was, but our people's needs are just as legitimate and real. Love the stranger. Be hospitable. And the way that we do that is by constantly extending invitation for people to come. Secondly, encourage. Are there people you know that you can think of right now that need to hear a loving word from you? Someone who's maybe discouraged or lonely or hurting or alone or going through a difficult time who could benefit so much if you just text them and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Or if you took the time to to send them an email or to phone call or FaceTime. Is there someone the Holy Spirit is kind of moving in your heart that you know that they could benefit from that? And this doesn't mean just people who are down in the dumps or who are depressed or who are really struggling. This could be people who you think are totally fine on the exterior, but may or may not be, but regardless of where they are, would still benefit from you worshiping God so much that it comes out in your words that you share to other people. Share a word from God, whether from his word directly or rooted in his word, and love each other. And lastly, serve. Are you actively giving your time and energy to bless others, or are you just sucking in and receiving and taking? Are your actions making people's lives better because they're around you? 
Find places to serve. That's obviously an easy start right there. Use your gifts to bless other people. Serve, not so that you can be recognized, but so that other people will be taken care of. See this membership thing here? Some, some of you have not ever been in a church context where there's been official membership, so it sounds, it's different than consistent attendance. There's a difference. Like, oh, I, yeah, I'm a Cornerstone member. That, it can mean two things. Official membership is the process. They become a voter. They become held more accountable. And if you go to any other place, you get membership and you receive a benefit. At the church, it's backwards. These people standing up here are now saying, I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to be held accountable. I'm going to go through all these hoops in order to become a member. You see how different from the world membership is? How, what, how different from the world biblical community and service is? When you go to a restaurant, if the waiter or waitress treats you poorly, or if there's a hair in your food, you have every right to throw a fit because you are not being served properly. At the church, it's backwards. It's what am I doing to serve the church properly? Serve your church. Serve your community and your body. Invite, encourage, serve. Our worshiping God matters to others. So let us be passionate worshipers vertically, so that there can be an abundance of fruit horizontally. I'd like to close by reading what's, in my opinion, the most important verse in this passage. It it wraps up the passage that Peter writes, but it's also the foundation of it, and it's this. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Invite, encourage, serve to glorify God. Don't do it because some pastor is standing on a stage and telling you to. Don't do it even if, you, if I somehow said something that made you feel convicted. Do it because you are a worshiper who loves the Lord. Do it because Jesus went to the point of sacrificing his life. You know what happened in the gospel? Jesus puts his life on the line and pours and sheds his blood so that you would be invited in. Not as a stranger. Not as a guest. But as an owner. As an heir. As a son. A daughter. A descendant. You are invited in because of the gospel. Because Jesus gave up his life and he died and he resurrected and he ascends in heaven. You were not just encouraged with his words, which certainly are true. But you were lifted up and actually you will be glorified one day. In the gospel, because Jesus died and he rose again, he ascends and is reigning in heaven. Right now, because he fulfilled the Father's promises, you were served way beyond what you deserved. Some of us don't want to serve people because we don't like them or they don't deserve our time. You received the most lavish idea of service. And we see it in John where Jesus gets on his knees. He takes on the form of a servant and washes the feet of his disciples. And then he gives up his life just hours later. All of us have been invited, encouraged, and served in ridiculous and radical ways by Jesus. And that is why we are able to give that to others in abundance. And that is where the foundation may lie. And that is our purpose to bring him glory and to be worshipful. Do it so that all things God may be praised because his children are living out the fruit of the work that he did first and for us to go and emulate that in this world. 
Do it so that to him be all the glory and power forever and ever. Let's pray together. Jesus, we think of your sacrifice and your love for us. We think of how you invited us in, you encouraged us, and you served us way beyond we ever could have deserved or way beyond we can even fully comprehend. We are such great recipients of love. And help us to see that first. Because a lot of times we take the posture of being like a spiritually poor or spiritual paupers, spiritual beggars, as if our lives are worse off or we are disadvantaged. But remind us today as we look and behold the cross how we are rich, how we are lavished in love how we are taken care of and supported and invited in tremendous ways, how the good news is good to us. So let us not take the posture of we need to be served, but with having been served so greatly, let us go and love each other deeply. This means the eldest and most longtime member at our church, and this means a newcomer who they just showed up today in all of us. It means the person who has hundreds of friends, and it means the person who feels like they're lacking, and everyone in between. Call each and every one of us, Lord, as if we, had, we knew how much time we had left on this earth to love each other deeply. And Father, I do pray a special prayer for those who are especially struggling. We pray that you would make all of our hearts sensitive to your spirit, that our ears would be wide open, our eyes would be wide open and keen. And let us go and be the church that loves on those people. Let no one be alone and deserted and lost and forgotten. Would your spirit direct us in those directions to to just love them and to care for them in the way that you would ask us and call us to. And ultimately, Lord, we want to do these things, not just even for the good of our community. We don't even want to do these things even just to make people feel better, although that's great. We want the number one reason why we do this, do this and do these things is because we want to worship you. So we lift you high and help us to make this commitment today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the...